You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Bracha. This is Standing in Two Worlds. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and I'm here with Professor Dr. Sam Juni, who is in Eretz Yisrael. And when we talk about standing in two worlds, anybody who lives in Eretz Yisrael probably feels that way. Um, that they are standing in two worlds. We've talked about the Chaledim uh, in previous uh, episodes. We've talked about Holocaust survivors. We've talked about the incredible patchwork of life that exists in Eretz Yisrael. But we've sort of, we've skirted another topic, uh, which is the fact that when you live in Eretz Yisrael, you can't ignore the fact that this was a country that was inhabited uh, by a, a very strong Arab population that still, of course, uh, exists and is still there. Uh, the Arabs are everywhere, and the Jews and the Arabs live together in so many ways. And yet there is, of course, the, the, the long history of, of, of violence that's been perpetrated into Fada's deaths and terror. And somebody, I think, who lives in Eretz Yisrael uh, has to have some sort of opinion and some sort of understanding of how he's going to navigate this type of minefield of living in the midst of not only surrounding neighbors, but within the country itself. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, Dr. Juni, I'm sure you're aware that there's been um, in the grand old lady, I guess the New York Times, which despite people's uh, wanting to boycott it, everybody still reads it, which is the uh, some opinion pieces uh, by Jewish writers, Jewish intellectuals, and, and people of, I guess, of influence, who have started once again reviving the discussion of maybe we should rethink what it means to live in Eretz Yisrael and maybe the way to put an end to animosity and violence. Peter Beinart wrote an essay, an op-ed piece saying why I don't believe in, in the two-state solution and I only believe in one state. Um, Brett Stevens and others argued against it. The issues being, do we have a partner? Do we have another human beings that are with us that we could somehow, by offering peace, uh, that we could somehow have some sort of shalom. Until the time, of course, the Mashiach comes and and, and things can become topsy-turvy. I just need to say that. But I can read the pieces. But Dr. Juni, you live there. You've had experience with what we will call the Arab populace um, in a professional and uh, a manner of your very sharp observations. So tell me what you think uh, without a messianic intervention, what do you see as the Arab propensity of, in, uh, to accept us, to live together, um, and in general, your, your, your observations about Arab life and Arab connections to uh, the Jewish people that are there? Okay, hi there. Pleased to meet you again. Pleased to be here. Okay, so let me just start by laying out where my source of information and opinion and bias comes here. So, um, I've been living here for five years. Before I've been living here, I um, ran, I and my wife really together ran a program in Tel Aviv called um, Cross-Cultural Psychology was the official name, but basically what we were doing was exploring how minorities live in majority populations. What is their psychology? How do they cope? How don't they cope? 
difficulties do they have? And it's the latter point, what kind of difficulties do they have where our point of departure was? Because, I mean, I basically am a clinician and I deal with problems. I rarely have people paying me a lot of money who come to me and say, I have no problems. I'd like to talk with you or deal with you. So I definitely come from the, from the pathology bend. And usually it was from a um, psychology pathology bend. In other words, people who had something wrong with their psychology, but we branched off also into the sociology of groups. So we've looked also at groups that seem to be having difficulties adjusting to the larger population. So one of the populations we studied across 10 years were different with the general population of quote-unquote Arabs, but essentially we dealt with different um, denominations and different townships within Israel. We didn't go outside of Israel, but within Israel, trying to understand what particular difficulties come up within the Arab world, the microcosm that we have here, and uh, tangentially, how can they possibly be solved, although that was secondary. The the main question was, what problems are there and how do they derive? So let me start with some specific observations and then try to build from that and towards the direction that you want me to um, put my finger into. Um, We noticed a very distinct transition in the attitudes of the minority populations which belong more or less to the Arab world. And that position shifted gradually, say, from 2009 through 2019, if we want to have a 10-year period. And um, when we were looking for people to try to engage with our students, basically many of the students were interns who were dealing with uh, psychological problems of individuals or families or of communities. So when we tried to deal with them, we came across a number of people who were militantly, shall we say, anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, felt they don't want to cooperate. First, we had to get over the suspicion that we might be one of them. Our whole group might be a plant to try to somehow subvert their natural process, which comes from a feeling of identity. But after we got over that, there were quite a few people that were genuinely opposed to the presence of Jews here, to the domination of Jews over them, so to speak. And there was a sizable number And when I say sizable, I say well over 50% of the people we dealt with who were quite comfortable living together with Jews. The political issues, political aspirations were not there. The the primary aspirations were making a living, having a good family um, situation, getting a job, a career. But the issue of like who's the boss, who's on, who's off, civil rights. I mean, everybody wants to have rights, but that was not foremost. There was a gradual shift throughout the years to the point that, say, by 2019, which was the last year we really studied this population officially, the people who were concerned primarily with problems in living and not concerned with the overall picture was well into the minority. So essentially, in the beginning, people would say, who are you? I'm an Israeli. And then what else are you? I'm an engineer. And then somewhere down the line, I'm an Arab. I'm someone who's concerned about my group, my um, overall identity as being here as a minority figure. That would be number three, sometimes number four. It grew to the point that when you spoke to most of the people in 2019, primarily Arab. Arab is the first identity that came up. And there were variations in the different groups. So say um, with um, 
Muslims, it's the process grew very quickly. When you dealt with people like um, Bedouins, it was slower. When you dealt with Christians, it was slower yet. When you dealt with Druze, it was slower yet. But there's been a shift in each of these towards the uh, primary identity as Arab and away from the identity as Israelis. Um, uh, I included Druze. Druze have not gone over the halfway mark yet for sure. Most Druze don't identify as Druze primarily yet, although I suspect it's moving because I've seen the, the marks indelible. You find many of them, like they would, first they would say it out loud, then they would say it more quietly, and now they would be upset if you publicize it because they don't want to know it. I mean, the, the classic examples are Jewish soldiers that are uh, killed in the line of duty for the Israeli Defense Forces who want to keep everything quiet. They don't want anybody to know that part of their family was part of the Israeli establishment. So that's fairly clear. So let me, okay, so that's just one tiny um, marching point that I want to come from. But I want to qualify the, the overall um, formulation that you gave here. Yeah. Well, second, to, well, let, me just, let me just interrupt you there. And again, I'm, please, yeah. I'm, always, I'm always scared to interrupt you because I don't want to uh, uh, even uh, give the impression that I'm anything more than just your interlocutor and and just trying to okay. get stuff okay. out of your brain. But I just want to interrupt just for a second there. You obviously uh, don't just look at the raw data. You know, we, we, I think we've, we've seen that in the, in the last program and in our other conversations. And of course, I know you for so many years. When you see that data and you see that, that very stark change, um, you must uh, have some sort of uh, reason that you've theorized for that steep decline in the sense that I'm part of the Israeli uh, community or the Israeli government or not the government, the Israeli state or the Israeli uh, living area. I'm an Arab who happens to be trapped. What do you, what, what do you put that down to? That incredible really shift, which is really mm-hmm. remarkable. What do, what, what's your theory of what, what caused that? Okay. Okay. So, so basically I was getting to that. Okay. My main focus and what I've picked up here, and it's not really theorizing, I've really talked myself blue in the face with many of my uh, uh, clients, so to speak, although the clients were usually the community, not the individuals. Um, what I've come up with is just the question of what identity we're talking about. And you're saying Arab, and I think that's a misnomer. So let me, again, just branch off to, let's say, the um, the um, attitudinal identities of blacks in the United States that I know well from my, my, my other life. And basically, blacks were an oppressed minority for many years. And, and many times they've been militant. And lately, the identity has grown more and more of saying it's us, not them. We are oppressed. We want to be the same. And identifying yourself as a black first before you identify yourself as American has grown very much, at least statistically. And within the, the, um, the world over here, the Arab world here, I think what you're dealing with basically are two issues, Arabs and Muslims. Okay, They happen to overlap to a large degree, but I think the extent to which, let's say, the... Uh, but if you question saying, will there ever be a situation where there'll be a detente or a getting along of blacks and whites in America? The question of identity really, blacks as an identity is something that was imposed on black people. 
In other words, uh, in the olden days, people didn't go around saying we're black. They didn't really think of it. Just like whites didn't really go around saying that we're whites. As the people clashed together, there was a domination of sorts, and it was the domination of blacks by whites that fostered a black identity, so to speak. Um, what's going on here is that Arabs and Jews, the way it is, it wasn't really, at least on Arab part, they were the majority here. There was not really an identity of Arab. I mean, there was not really identity as such. It's a people here. And then secondarily, oh yeah, there's an Arab and there's a Jew. I don't relate to each other. Um, intrinsically, blackness is not opposed to whiteness. Okay? It's the oppression. It's the political relationships which makes blacks opposed to white. When you get to religion, it's different. Religion has a dogma. And let's say first for people who are very little, literal with the dogma, if you believe in um, the precepts of a religion which says other people are wrong, bad, and that comes with a lot of shoulds. They should be so-and-so, they should be persecuted, they should not be here, they cannot be here. That's something that's much less likely to change unless you don't take the religion seriously. So what I'm proposing that is happening over here is that the identity of Arabs, especially among those who find it less and less easy to cooperate or to live along with Jews, is becoming much more suffused with the aspect of the Islam religion. Now, I'm not saying that Islam has to be opposed to Judaism, but I am saying that the more literal you take the precepts that exist in Islam, the more difficult it is to say, okay, with this, but it doesn't really matter so long as we live together. And you can do the same in terms of the um, Israeli Jewish slash Messianic identity. The more you take literally and seriously the precepts that exist in the Jewish literature, the more difficult it is to say, well, it's not really so important to have a Jewish state. It's not so important to have a religious state. We can have it and kind of compromise. So what I'm saying here is that the identity of being Arab is that that manifests itself in being opposed to Israeli domination and then lately even to cooperation or living together with Israelis in contrast to just kicking everybody out is becoming more and more radicalized as the Arab identity is becoming dominated by the identity of being Islamic. Okay, that's the sketch of what I've picked up here. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I understand. I, 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 the question is, what has what sociological uh, triggers have caused this? We need to embrace not just our history or the fact that we are Arabs, but the fact that we are descendants and continuing the the great ideas of Muhammad and 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 and, and the leaders of Islam throughout the generations. What happened from 2010 to 2019 that that, that should spur that? Um, you know, we, we know that many people find in prison religion, uh, and 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 sometimes under great pressure, people discover something which gives them that strength to fight on and to invest themselves in. I'm not sure if I'm aware of what's occurred in the last 10 years to still explain that. All you've said is, well, we've seen an increase in uh, Islam inserting itself into that sense of identity. And therefore, the radical dogma of Islam 
uh, not all Islam, but the radical dogma of Islam, the way it's been preached by those specific imams, has somehow taken root and, and begun to alter the, the, the mentality of, and the sense of self of, 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 the people, of, of the Arab world. But why did that occur? Why is it that they suddenly became frumer, so to speak? And I'm going to ask you just another question, just to push back a little bit. Before you ask me the other question, let me just say, okay, I, don't, I don't have an explanation as to the why. I can just give you a major correlation, which is that across many aspects of society, there has been a radicalization of views, and some people characterize it as a drifting towards the extreme or a drifting towards the right, depending where you're standing, on the right or the left. But the drifting towards extreme seems to be occurring in all um, minority groups across the globe. Um, why is that happening? I'm not sure. I'm not sure at all. But I can tell you within the world of the Arab-Israeli world, especially within Israel, the radicalization is very much correlated to be, being much more entrenched in a religious philosophy as the, the people see it. I mean, there's no question that's what's going on. And what I'm saying is that I have much more hope for the status of race relationships in the United States because there is no religious component there. It was interesting, starting in the 1960s, those blacks who embraced um, um, the Muslim, but they called the Muslim religion, they have been fairly intransigent. They've never moved. In terms of the overall black community, basically there's been a waxing and a waning of sometimes more militant, sometimes less. But again, that's an identity. If the, the Muslims, they, they the black Muslims in, 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 in America, they took that identity upon themselves. But nobody on that. And in the, here, what's happening in the Arab world, there was always somewhat of a Muslim identity, but that's become very much part of the Arab identity. I, I can't do it. I don't. No, I don't know enough. Maybe it's um, sometimes you can philosophize that when you feel weak and you feel oppressed, you seek a certain identity to make you special, to make you different, and maybe to make you superior. But it's not that the Arabs felt inferior for many years. That's not the case. It's not, I really don't have an answer. Well, I, I guess it really feeds into the point that I was trying to say before, which is, the yin and the yang, okay, so in, the, in terms of moving towards the extreme in, is, in the Israeli culture, or the, which is still the dominant culture there, do you believe that in the last 10 years, I'll put it in yeshiva language, that even the, the, non, the non-religious Israelis become more frum, so to speak, in sense of, 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 of the religion? Because we know that, 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 that many, many Israelis, including those that hold very, very strong anti-Arab opinions, you're not going to find them in Shul except on Yom Kippur. They're not necessarily, they don't, they don't, they don't have a sense of frumkite or a sense of their religion. Because um, you're saying that there was a, a, a shift towards the extremes. And, and did that occur in, in, in the Israeli community as well? Do you think that, that in the last 10 years, we've seen a hardening and moving towards an extreme... Okay. Well, okay. Um, I can tell you that there is a, a bit of an asymmetry when you compare the two sides to the um, equation, so to speak, because on the Jewish side, there isn't a double identity. I mean, there is now Jews and Israeli, but that's too recent to have made it into the actual, um, shall we say, uh, subjective lexicon of the the, um, the um, adjutants here, of the um, uh, 
perpetrators here, if you wish. The Arab double identity of Arab versus Muslim has always been there. So you can see the way there may have been some dynamic give and take. With Jews, it's very hard to say, do you feel more Jewish or less Jewish? Nobody would say that because Judaism is an identity, at least the way it's practiced here among the, non- among the secular people. It's practiced not actually from a religious point of view, but from kind of a, a cultural or national identity point of view. But if you ask me, um, the percentage of people who feel friendly and comfortable with Arabs and see them actually as friends, I would say that's dropped down. The, uh, there is a, a, a quite a few people who still maintain that we have no right or no business to push Arabs around and put them into a, um, a, a subservient position, but it's not tied to the religious aspect of Judaism. But there's no question that I have been looked at much more askew for having Arab friends and to go to Arab houses. or to, We have buddies that we get along with very well. I've been looked at much more askew as these 10 years have progressed. Now, it's, first of all, it's very acceptable. Sure, it makes sense. I understand. It's not so that way. I'm looked at much more crookedly. But to say that there's um, more and more people saying that we should dominate and push the Arabs around? No. But the attitude that um, they're not your friends, we have to get along with them, they deserve equality from a conceptual point of view, that's around. That's around. So, so, so you would say, again, part of what we were talking about the very first program, uh, and this was something that I was floating and I think you agreed with, was that it's almost impossible when you deal with uh, the Israeli uh, ment- the populace, the mentality of forgiving people who you had been in war with. You know, even though the Arab who lives in Israel is not necessarily putting on a uniform, but there is this a sense of, of, of putting them all together as part of this army that wanted to kill us. So he, you might have the most secular Israeli, but if he has lost someone, whether it's his own child or his brother or his father in war, it's going to be very hard to uh, extinguish those smoldering ashes of animosity and hatred towards the other. Sure, uh, sure. but especially what we just do in, in, in such situations is we just put a different label on the other. We say, well, it's those um, militant uh, Islamists who are responsible for all of this, and you, my opponent, is one of those. I'm not saying, of course, Arabs are fine as such, but not those who espouse the, uh, the shall we say, the theology or the, the mandates which these people, in quotes, supposedly hold to. But I mean, so basically, when you get to the, let's say, the Peter Beinart divide between one state, two states, I think the issue underneath it all is can we get people to be less hostile towards us? I mean, can the Jews, Jewish people or Israelis expect, expect Arabs to be less hostile to us? And the question is, will they be less hostile if we live together in one state? as people with equal rights, or will they be less hostile if they live separately? And I think that the analogies they have, like from Ireland or from the black populations, they're not the same. They're not parallel situations at all, because the point is, um, if you go with radical religious beliefs, Jews don't belong here, whether it's in one state with us or it's in a state alongside with us. And in terms of what are 
the chances of being able to live with less bloodshed. I, I don't know the political science of it at all, but I think it's hardly relevant which way you do it. What difference does it make if you're hated from people who are your co-citizens or you're hated by your next door neighbors? Well, let's, let me just play devil's advocate here for a second. It, it, I think what Beinart and others were saying uh, is that if we, if we loosen the, the yoke, so to speak, and we open it up in a, in a very real way, then maybe that radicalization will recede. You said that it, start, it, it, it intensified over the last 10 years, but it wasn't essential in the way Arabs uh, interacted with Jews. And we know historically before the, the Israeli, right? Uh, before the, before but, the Israeli but you see, state. I think the intensification happens across cultures these days. There are no cultures where it's wound down. So what's happening in Ireland, basically, is that people, for some reason, did not take um, a Catholic theology and Protestant theology so seriously. In other words, they were using that as a flag to rally against when they were warring each other, but it's not like they're very much religious. It's not like they're very much more devoted to the church. That's not the case here. People, I mean, on the Arab side, people are much more devoted to the idea of Islam. They are much more religious. There are more people who are praying five times a day on the street now than there were 15 years ago. So, Let's let's sort of like put a, a, a period on this. Would you are are, you, are you're not that hopeful? It sounds from reading between the lines, or maybe from even what you're saying openly, that there can be that much uh, communication and connection, despite your friendly relationships with many Arab uh, people in, in 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 Israel. You don't think that it could, you, you think it's a pipe dream. You think it's something that probably can't occur. Right. I think what you need to have is some kind of political solution, which with a certain amount of enforcement that might be able to get a rolling, but I don't think we're going to change people's attitudes now. I don't think so, especially not the, the identities there. And I think that the history, so many people are involved with the facts. Who was here first? How many people were here when... Um, Mark Twain toward yeah. Israel. It's, total, it's totally irrelevant. The question is, who are you? Who do you see yourself? Who are you? Who is the other? What makes them the other? And so long as it has some, some dictum, religious dictum, and usually religious dicta are above uh, critical examination for those who hold on to them. And I would just sit there, who am I to question it? I don't see it. And again, I, I, I find it almost specious, these, these conversations Two state, one state, what is this solution? What makes you think there is a solution? In other words, there will be strife over here. Other than just a political strife because of who has the power, there is strife over here because people hold to different truths, so to speak. And usually truths are um, defined socially or economically or situationally. But when truths are defined in terms of um, some transcendent um, um, religious missive, there isn't much negotiation there. I mean, the, the usual renegotiation is with the formula of re-education. So you have to re-educate people to think differently. Uh, I don't have much confidence in that. Well, I know that there was uh, many years ago, and they did a beautiful documentary about that, uh, about a Israeli, an Arab school that they tried to create um, this unity where the kids went to school together and there was a, an Israeli teacher and an Arab teacher um, it was uh, documented. Uh, oh, we saw it's that. very much a lot. Very much a lot. 
that educational trend is very much alive. I know the schools. I know some of them in Tel Aviv. I know some in Jerusalem. I've been there frequently. I've taken my students there frequently. It's, it's a very nice ideal. It's a very nice ideal. But again, you find that the people who believe in that have been marginalized. There are very few now. I mean, the popularity, the attendance in those schools is not as high. By the way, the attendance in those schools was always predominantly Jewish. There's always a minority of Arabs that were in there and uh, valiantly fighting towards that kind of attitude. And my assumption is that the people who went through that educational system are less likely to get sucked up in the Islamic anti-Israeli identity as others, but their numbers have shrunk and they're shrinking as we speak. And this is despite the fact that I think everybody admits that the standard of life as an Arab Israeli is is, is much higher than it would be in any of the Arab but, countries, right? No question. But but how how is that an answer to what they know God tells them to do? That's not an answer. When God tells you to do something, it's not so that you can achieve comfort and you can go to school and you can have a career. God tells it to you because that is the truth. And the more people believe that the truth is something that's outside of my practical life, it's something from above and regardless of what's happening, the less you have the, so, so to speak, the less you have the agency to compromise. How can you compromise on God's word? I mean, that's the, the, the orthodox point of view across all religions. Orthodox meaning radical. Just to, to, to just put a little bit of a religious spin, as you know, that I, I do wear the rabbi hat sometimes. Um, there has been um, uh, a lot of li- uh, uh, writing by the Chassidah Shevelt and, and others that said, hey, you know, the Arabs uh, have a taina, which is true, which is the fact that um, they have moved towards, as you said, a greater religiosity, a greater acceptance of one God, of Islam, of subservience. And they feel that in many ways, the, the enemy that they're fighting is godless. It isn't just uh, the old Jews that Muhammad uh, put in their place. They're talking about infidels of the greatest rank. Uh, and, you know, and, and what they look at in their propaganda, look, look at the beaches of Tel Aviv. It's Shabbat, whatever it is, and it's still open. They don't even, they talk about being descendants of Moses, of, 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 of Moshe, but really they don't live the life of Moshe. And there are, though, you know, that's part of their argument. And when you say the average Arab davens five times a day, we still can't say that about the average Israeli, right? So they, they definitely feel that they are fighting uh, a godless, uh, you know, uh, society, which is sort of bringing out the worst aspects. I think, I think of it's a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say it's not godless. It's anti-God the way they see it. I mean, essentially, Islam, the way it's practiced today by people who are radicals, uh, believes in replacement theology, just like our, you know, our old adversaries, our old, our, um, well, the adversaries of, of past days. And the idea is that not only have Jews been um, replaced by Islam as the chosen people of God, but that the Jews themselves are practicing anti-religion that they're doing things which is at odds even with the precepts that they profess. Again, of course, there's a broad brush strokes. We are all they. They are all we, and we are all they. And they, first of all, aside from being discredited because they don't accept the true religion, they don't even stick to their old precepts. So they are worthless from a theological point of view, and they're not genuine. 
I mean, that's been going on. That's really, and we, so, we're fairly, we're experienced with that kind of um, allegation because we've had it from Christianity for a couple of days or a couple of years now. <laughs> I guess, but I don't know if that necessarily translates into less uh, animosity or violence against Haredim. In other words, has anybody ever done a study that when Arabs have picked their their victims, are they zeroing in more on, you know, the average Israeli, you know, keep us frugal, no keep us on the limb, or do they actually, you know, do, or do they try to? Uh, is, is there any, or would they attack equally someone who is uh, wearing the burqa in their mind, like a, a, a Haredi a frumer who is? Yeah, no, no, they they will they will. Attack. They will, I mean, the truth is that there are certain radical, um, I mean, really, uh, the radical subgroups within the Haredi population who feel somehow an affinity with Arabs because they're both anti-Israelis, but those are basically very marginal. But no, no, they will attack anyone because the idea of Jews being godless is just an added garnish to the argument, which is basically the Jews are no longer... um, meaningful people in the eyes of God because they don't know the real religion. So essentially, even Jews versus other infidels, it doesn't make that much of a difference. So it's not just the, the Jews who are a Haredi or anti-Zionist versus those who aren't. It's, it's Jews versus other religions that don't direct a line, which is basically you're either with us or you're against us. And the shades are relatively meaningless when it comes to becoming a target of aggression or a target of hatred. All of them are no good. It's we versus them. Yeah, let me just close the circuit here on this very sorry uh, topic. Um, and go, getting back to the Junies in a personal way, you, you mentioned how you made Aliyah, you mentioned how you live in Yerushalayim, and I talked about standing in two worlds. And when you walk the streets to your apartment, and you're walking home at night. Maybe you and Esther have gone out uh, to a nice cafe, and or maybe you've heard a lecture. And you pass by uh, a certain quarter, a certain neighborhood that uh, is is predominantly Arab. Uh, Arab not a, tell me, do the do the prickles go up on on the back of your neck? Do you? What's your feeling? Do you feel a sense of safety? Do you feel that you're in danger? What is it, you as a, a person of, of, who understands concepts, who understands human beings beyond their aggression? What's your, what's your personal feeling? Are you scared? So let me tell you, first of all, a neurotic, almost mantra that the two of us keep saying is that, wow, this looks really nice. Look at the churches here. Look at the people. If only they wouldn't hate us. So it's neurotic because, in fact, Many of them do hate and and do look at us with resentment. No, I don't feel scared. I feel fairly comfortable here because I did live in the slums of New York for a long time. And I would say that, in fact, it was much more dangerous. I remember there were quite a few um, families of students that showed up. Our students were all adults, but still families were concerned. And I would get phone calls often saying, hey, I hear this is going on. Is this going on where we are? You guys are in Tel Aviv now. Are you guys are now in the better neighborhood? Are you scared for the students? I'd say, look, statistically, there's much more of a chance of getting knifed in Greenwich Village than there is in Jerusalem or in Eilat or in Tel Aviv. But the difference is that when you get uh, hurt in New York, it's not them. It's isolated individuals 
who are just maladapted and are aggressive towards others. Here, you feel you're dealing with a them. And the question that comes up in your mind, neurotically, is this Arab one of them who hates us or one of, not one of them, but just a regular guy who's here living. And most people, when they travel the, um, the light rail in Jerusalem, are not scared sitting next to Arabs because the assumption still is these people are primarily interested in making a living and just getting along with everybody, even though they may have certain religious convictions, but either they're not serious about the convictions or they're not willing to let that run their lives. So no, I am not scared. And I still, unfortunately, am still a dinosaur. I guess 10 years, 15 years is not enough to make you a dinosaur, but I still remember, and I know that there are people I get along with who are Arabs, but the point is still, you don't know. So you, it's in a sense, it's a racial profiling. Yeah, and I say that with a certain amount of guilt, but I really don't know when I see an Arab, is he one of them or not? And it's the fact that I'm not thinking, is he somebody who's going to hurt me, but is he one of those who's going to hurt me? That accentuates some uh, feeling of discomfort and also alienation, feeling that you're not really home, so to speak. You might be in a safe place because there are fewer chances of getting hurt because the uh, police here are fairly active and they have good intelligence. But still, the feeling is I'm living with with an alien identity together with them, which you don't feel in the United States. It's not an alien identity. It's people who are just acting out, but it's not them. There's no them there. We definitely hope that uh, you still take to the streets and still have that positive attitude, but keep safe, of course, yes. especially, yes. We, especially we, in this, we, we, in this we, time of corona. Uh, and I don't know if that's exacerbated this year or not. Maybe we'll deal with that on a, on a different program. But thanks a lot, Dr. Juni. You've definitely uh, uh, enlightened us, not only from, from your personal perspective, but maybe you've given us some seeds of ideas that maybe if people would listen to uh, could really create uh, a, a little more stable and, and more secure environment in a way that people can have that simcha sachayim that's necessary for being productive and uh, really making changes eventually. So that's it, my friends, for this week for our uh, Standing in Two Worlds. Dr. J, thanks a lot. We'll hopefully uh, we see you, Mitz Hashem, next week uh, with another episode. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.